oko e na hoa mai oa o ka honua e hoohiala ai nei i na moolelo o keia hoa lono nei o ka leo o ka uluau no hoi aloha mai no kako i ka kako polokalamo i ka ai honei i kaha kai aku nei kako i ka ehu kai o keo kaha ame mokuola ahiki i ka ululehua o mokau lele ame na wahi kaulana o uka I keia manawa, e huli ana kaka ko hua ka i kaapuni moku, i kaulu niu o piopio mahiloone. Dearest listeners of Kaleo o Kauluau podcast, mahalo for joining us once again as we listen to the mo'olelo, the stories of Hawaii Island, as we explore its beauty and its richness. To paraphrase what Lei just shared so eloquently, in our last episode, we went on a huokai, a journey from the sea spray of Keokaha and Mokuola to the uplands of Mokaulele and other places in this district of Hilo. Today, our journey will take us to another beloved place of the Moko of Hilo called Piopio. We hope you enjoy. And with that, here we go. Lokelani Brandt was born in Kailua on Oahu and raised in Hilo and Puna on Hawaii Island. Her early Hawaiian immersion education made her a fluent speaker of Hawaiian language. Loke earned her BA in Anthropology and Hawaiian Studies and a Master's in Heritage Management from UH Hilo. Loke has worked with ASM affiliates for several years since. She's worked on projects on Kauai, Oahu, Molokai, Maui, and Hawaii Island. She has experience with community consultation, archival research, oral historical interviews, cultural impact assessment, archaeology, and burial treatment plans. She's led and organized several community-based cultural heritage management programs on Hawaii Island, geared towards training local communities on the identification and protection of their tangible and intangible heritage. Loke currently lives in Waiakea in Hilo with her ohana, with her family. Aloha, my dear friend. Oh, aloha, Juru. Both Lei and I have a special relationship with you that goes back years. Lei, how is it that you know Loke? I am fortunate to have taken Loke's Imu class at Hawaii Community College, which took place over a very rainy weekend. It was my first time helping prepare an Imu, and I've had several opportunities since then, but I enjoy reflecting on what it felt like to experience it for the first time. I was also in her Aikapu class, which I found very interesting. We learned about the many intricacies of Hawaiian society prior to the arrival of Malihini or foreigners. We are so glad that you can join us, Loke, and we're excited to learn from what you intend to share with us. It's a pleasure to cross paths with you again. I recall with much fondness our time together as we offered the amazing and challenging residential theme learning community called Kilohi Kalaimano. In Kekahawai Oleo na Kona, the waterless lands of Kona, so many years ago. Do you remember? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that absolutely. Ex- <clears throat> that experience honestly changed my life as an educator, shifting it in new ways. And you had an important role in that experience. So I mahalo you for that. I also enjoyed taking a class with you at Hawaii Community College and also seeing you in the spaces of Kanak Oleha as you worked on your many degrees at UH Hilo. Oh, you guys brought up so many great memories. Oh, my goodness. Um, and yeah, my class with um, you, having you as a student studently um it sort of reminds me of how quick time goes by oh definitely how fast all these things can happen in such a what seems to be a short amount of time so but mahalo anui for the invitation um and allowing me to come here and share what i know with um you folks and a bigger audience so well we're very grateful to you loke so mahalo maika you loke this is all really great 
Are you ready to share Ma'olalo about Pio Pio and Hilo with us? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we are so ready. Mahalo. <laughs> Hi. Um, so I wanted to kind of give a little bit of backstory about how I became interested in this particular place in Hilo. So let's try to kind of set up the geography here. Um, I think that's important to understand. Uh, Pio Pio is a what we call, in, you know, traditionally, it's what we call an Ili Kupono land. And I will define that a little bit more, but it's an Ili Kupono. So it's a subdivision of the Ahupua'a of Waiakea on, on the east side of Hawaii Island, just inland of Hilo Bay. We know the area more today as Wailoa, Wailoa State Park. Those are some of the common names that's applied to the area today. But traditionally, the, that particular area was called Pio Pio. And as an Ili Kupono, it was given sort of a special designation and its history and its resources is what gave it that designation. And so basically as an Ilikupono, and I believe in your guys' first podcast, um, you guys talked about traditional land management systems and how an Ahupua'a would have a ruling chief that sort of oversaw the people and the resources in that area. And then it went up and it scaled up to the moku or district level and then you have an island level, right? And so um, POPO, instead of paying sort of tribute to the Waiakea Ahupua'a chief, it went straight to the um, district chief. Or, and, you know, depending on if there was Major Ali Inui ruling Hilo and other districts at the time. So the relationship was between the Ali Inui of the Moku and POPO. So there was no sort of middleman you know, as you would see in other areas. And so that's an important thing to understand. And it's really the resources that were present in that area at the time that kind of gave it that designation. And historically, the creation of this particular land division, um, and through my research, you know, I believe that it's attributed to Umi Ali Loa, you know, who ruled sometime during the 15 or 1600s on Hawaii Island. And um, it was shortly after his him becoming a Inui, that this designation of Ili Kupono was applied to Pio Pio. You mentioned paying tribute. What do you mean by that? Right. So the traditional land management system in Hawaii, uh, meaning, you know, pre-contact times and, and even into the early historic period, was based on a sort of taxation system, which originated from Hawaii Island. The Ali'i, whose sole responsibility is to oversee resources and manage manage that area, um, you know, the, the labor force that requires fish ponds to be constructed, lo'i to be built, food to be produced, bird feathers to be collected, you know, feathered garments to be constructed, canoes, all of those things that went into early Hawaiian society, you know, required labor. And so that form of taxation, and that's what the ahupua system is, is it sort of um, allows the, the ruling ali'i to gather taxes in the form of labor and goods from people. So that's Mahalo. what I mean by that. Mahalo for clarifying. Yeah, no, that's a good question. <laughs> so a little bit more about Pio Pio. We know historically through the works of, you know, some famous Hawaiian scholars and historians that said that it was Umiyali Loa who set up the Ahupua'a system and, you know, divided all the laborers from the people and created that sort of really stratified society that we've seen at the time of contact. 
it's attributed to umi ali loa and so that mm. that idea of pio pio its name itself not showing up in records that sort of predates umi's era um further you know it's further evidence of his importance in creating this this or setting aside this land division for it to have its own sort of function function yeah absolutely it's so interesting to me that um i've i've been kind of i've wondered why i haven't um come across a lot of references to pio pio as a place name um in more like in more ancient accounts and, and mythic accounts too and i think you you know pretty much clearly explained the role of umiali loa in that yeah that's bra- that's brand new yeah um information to me that's really interesting it makes me wonder too that why um in terms of the status of ili kupono i wonder why um pio pio didn't just become an ahupua on its own rather than a, a part of waiakea right so Part of the, from my understanding, for the Ilikupono sort of land division, they they in itself actually operated as an independent, sort of like an independent ahupua'a within an ahupua'a, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, and it's really hard to sort of tease apart really the main differences in the way an ahupua'a was managed versus an ili, because the same sort of management of resources, it's real, really, really similar. Um, for Waiakea, in the Ahupua'a of Waiakea, there are three ili kupono, right? And so there's, Piopio is one that's the westernmost. Then we also have Maka'oku, which is the ancient name of what we know of as the Waiakea Peninsula. So, so uh, Lili'uokalani Gardens near the um, Coconut Island parking lot or mo- the Mokuola parking lot. So like Waihono. Waihonu, yeah. yes. Uh, so that's one. That's uh, that's the other. And the third one is actually um, Honohononui down towards Kilkaha in the vicinity of Four Miles. Yeah, Four Miles Beach Park. So we have three ili kupono um, within Waiaken. All of them are centered around bodies of fresh water. That's important to note because, you know, especially on Hawaii Island because of our geography, we don't have we ne- we didn't we weren't able to develop agriculture in the same way that O'ahu and Maui did, and even parts of Hamakua, for example, Waipio, where we have intensive lo'i cultivation. That's a major key, you know, a uh, major keystone of Hawaiian agriculture is, and horticultural practices is the creation of the lo'i. Now on Hawaii Island, on East Hawaii Island, we don't have that, you know, so these fresh bodies of water where you have these, this sort of mixing you know, these estuaries of freshwater and, and saltwater in lowlands, right? Because P.O.P.O. is sitting in sort of a bowl. Yeah, it's sort of sitting in like a bowl because Bayfront's actually at a higher, Hilo Bay, sandy part, is actually at a slightly higher elevation. You know, so it sort of dips down before it starts to ascend again going mocha. Um, so that sort of those resources sort of combined makes them extra valuable. Those Natural ponds were converted into fish ponds. And that's another key thing about this particular area. Um, and so we have, I think, believe, I believe there were five or six I haven't, um, of fish ponds that were erected within the Wailoa area. Um, specific to P.O.P.O., there were only two. P.O.P.O. only had two of those six or seven fish ponds that were part of that bigger complex. Um, Ho'akimau which is right behind the Kamehameha statue. There's a pond that's right behind the Kamehameha statue and between the Wailoa Art Center. Mm. And then 
further Mauka, going back towards Kilauea Avenue in the vicinity of um, Just Cruising Coffee, right um, below that, that was another, that's Mohouli Fish Pond. So that was another pond that was part of POPO. So um, only those two fish ponds were, were traditionally belonged to POPO. So Waiakea Fish Pond, the much larger one, that was for the Ali'i of Waiakea. And the other ones that sort of went back towards the eastern, the eastern section of Wailoa Waiakea Fish Pond area. Though the resources belong to the Ali'i of Waiakea and Ho'akivao and Moholi, the resources of which belong to Pio Pio, the Ali'i and the people there. Mm. Yeah. Fish ponds were very important. And you also mentioned Lo'i, the spaces in which Kalo were grown, the yeah. taro. Is there some special way that they were able to cultivate taro in P.O.P.O.? Yes. So we have actually a pretty good record of um, the specific type of agriculture that was done in P.O.P.O. Like I said, it didn't have the flowing water that like an, a typical lo'i kalo could be constructed. So they had to modify based on the resources and the way water flowed in that area. And so... Um, they had a specific type of agricultural, um, specifically kalo, to grow kalo is a specific type. Um, it was called the kanukipi method, and that was a method that was utilized. So from my understanding, it's sort of the creation of these long rows of heaped up soil. And the water is allowed to flow at the base of those rows back and forth. And... All the kalo is planted in these high, in those high sort of mounds, those heaped up dirt mounds. Yeah. So unlike lo'i where it's the uh, taro or the huli, the base, you know, the stock part that you plant, um, that's actually submerged in water. So it was different in P.O.P.O. The, the taro stock itself wasn't submerged. The water just flowed around the base of those dirt mounds. And so that was a unique method. There's also other also other resource or references that talk about a um, sort of a floating garden, and so they talks about these sort of rafts being constructed and mound heaped up on top of these rafts with mulch, and they're allowed to actually like float on the waterways. But yeah, those are some of the methods that were sort of developed um, that's specific to the POPO area. I think those are just amazing examples of how innovative our kupuna were and how they were able to form deep relationships with their land and spaces and be able to um, cultivate resources based yes. on what the aina dictated. Yes, yes. But yeah, there's sort of this um, importance in understanding what the land is capable of giving you and the land is can be capable of giving a lot if you can understand it well enough to tap into its sort of maximum capacity where we, you know, for a lack of a better word for the, you know, timing it just right, seasonality. When do you get the most rainfall? Where does the water move? How does the water move? That was important to the Hawaiians is understanding that part of their environment. And that's why we named them. That's why we called them names is because that's how you had to identify them. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how you kept your information you know, so when we talk about wind names, rain names, water names, all those things, that's a classification system that we're talking about. You know, when they talk about the he'enehu rain or things like that, he'enehu is a, the slip, the moving of the nehu fish. And that's 
a rain that is said to bring in the Nehu fish, which is really a correlation, you know, and that's a specific way of care of reference, mm-hmm. <laughs> I believe. Um, but um, yeah, it's just their profound understanding of their place, the time, and that's generations. That's stuff that you inherit over the generations. You know, you think about your, your growing up, you think back to your family. If you've been in a place long enough, you are accumulating the lived experiences of your parents, yourself, your children, and passing on that knowledge is an important part of the maintenance of the, the information, the practices that go along in those spaces, you know. Um, and a lot's changing. So let me back up a little bit. Let's talk about some of the mo'olelo. Um, yeah, so part of my research was looking into some of our traditional accounts and our traditional mo'olelo for this area. One of the mo'olelo that I like to share with my students or people that are interested is um, the story of Hi'iaka. As we know, he, in this particular account, Hi'iaka, she's, you know, one of the um, one of many siblings of the Pele family, the Pele clan, and she is set out on she sets out on a journey to retrieve her sister Pele's sort of dream lover, Lohi'au, who is on Kauai. Yeah. And so part of her journey, it's this long saga, but she comes out of Puna and she makes her way throughout the islands, does amazing things along the way, and then makes her return trip home, encountering more and more things. Yeah. But in the early part of her journey, she comes out of Puna and she they she and her two companions, Vahine Oma'o and um um, Drew, help me out. Pau. Palai. Palai, yes. They come into Hilo and they find themselves at Ohele, which today is where Suisan Fish Market is located, right on that, um, between Suisan Fish Market and the Hilo Bay Cafe, that little area right there on the point. Um, and so in the journey, they arrive there and they meet a female named Papanui Olaka and her father Ohele, that's also his name, but they're living there. They have some interactions, but in one point of the story, they talk about Papanui Olaka being a very young and um, sort of naive girl. And in, in this particular part of the story, she, you know, she asks Hiyaka if she can come with them on their journey because Hiyaka and her two companions, they're moving through. They're not, they're not going to stay there for very long. And so um, they, Papa Nui Olaka begs of them, like, can I, can I can you please take me with you? And Hiyaka tells her, you know, just know that if you come with us, there's absolutely no turning back. Like, once you make this commitment to come on this journey, there's no room for second guessing, doubts, you know, or anything of that nature. And so Papa Nui Olaka, the young girl, is, no, no, I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I, th- I think I'm ready, but I'm, you know, I'm going to go for this. They have to swim across Wailoa River from where Suisan is, from the Suisan side, over to the Hilo Bay side, Kanukuokamanu, that point right there. And as they swim across, Hiyaka sort of in her magical form just kind of appears on the other side, not wet. And Papanui Olaka, they're swimming. She's treading water through Wailoa. The current's very strong. Finally, she comes up. She's a little bit winded and soaking wet. And she sees Hiyaka standing on the beach and Hiyaka's getting dressed, you know, putting on her pa'u. 
And Papa Nui Olaka is sort of um, mystified by what she sees. She sees Hi'iaka not wet <laughs> or anything like that, right? And so um, anyhow, they, they get up, and the, the women put on their garments and they're making their way towards Hilo Bay, walking in a westerly direction, and or towards, um, towards Mauna Kea, walking in that sort of direction. And they run across a man named Paikaka. And so Paikaka is this young, apparently handsome guy. And one of the things that he does is he flashes his malo to the women, but he peels back and he's known to have a malo, which is sort of a male loincloth. So it's tied around the waist or on the hip. And then usually there's a sort of a flap that covers the front part, um, the you know, the frontal part of the body. But it says his malo is dyed differently on either side. Wow. So one color, yeah, and I believe it's red and yellow dyed with natural plants. And so um, the women get to the other side. Paikaka starts talking to them and um, he flashes his malo. He flips the underside <laughs> and he shows the women the underside of his malo. And uh, Papa Nui Olaka, the young girl who had just come on this journey with them, is appalled. She can't even she can't even deal with what she just saw. And this story doesn't go into too much detail about what it is she saw, but it that's sort of the the beauty of Hawaiian stories. It sort of leaves a lot to the imagination in that way. But uh, you know, going against Hiiaka's um her wishes and her what you know what she had told Papa Nui Olaka. Papa Nui Olaka decides she's going to go back home to her father and she she cannot. This trip is just not for her. So against Hiyaka's wishes, the woman, you know, the young girl starts to return home. And it says as she starts to swim back across the Wailoa River to her home on the other side where Suisan in um, Hilo Bay Cafe is now located, um, she turns into a pu'upa hoihoi. She turns into this large um, sort of like a smoother type of lava and today if you go there you'll notice that that side of the the peninsula is very raised it's very raised up and so it says that that becomes her body form um, and Hiyaka and her companions no turning back they have to continue with their journey but um, so this young girl turns into the pu'upa hoihoi that we see there today and so that's some of the mo'olelo that we find there and what's important to understand is Mo'olelo, maybe to some people, might just seem like they're just stories. These sort of drift away stories with no real, um, maybe real value, informational value, you know, any of that sort of thing. But it's important to understand from a Hawaiian perspective um, that the aina is, you know, it's, it's a repository of all of our human experiences. And we just keep layering that as history and as time unfolds, we just keep layering places with our um, experiences. And for Kanaka, for our you know, Hawaiian people, um, you cannot decontextualize Hawaiian people from a place. Yeah, because each one, Aina, land, Kanaka, man, they breathe life into one another. You know, and so anytime you talk to people, um, and I, I see this in my work today as well, when you talk to uh, Hawaiian people, there is a really profound um, love for their homeland. And that's an important thing to understand for our people. And that's why when we look at mo'olelo or our traditional stories, um, 
it, it comes out too in those ways, right? And so there's, you know, there was several more allelo that I was able to look at specific to POPO. Um, but it, so anyhow, a little bit more, there's there's several more allelo. Okay, so Umiali Loa, I'll tell a little bit of story as he comes to Hilo and POPO. But it says that he comes to Hilo, he's, Umiali Loa, he's very, um, he's, he's a definitely a go-getter in terms of wanting to expand his kingdom, right? And so he sets out to defeat the chiefs of Hilo and to conquer them. And the way he does that is he comes to P.O.P.O. when he comes into Hilo and he sees a gathering happening at Kanuko Kamanu, right? So this is like on the Hilo Bay, Sandy side in P.O.P.O. And he sees sort of an ali'i gathering, the people are dressed with their um, their insignia, or you know, their royal insignia. So they're Laini Hopalawa, their well-toothed um, pendant and certain clothing that they were wearing. Anyhow, in the story, it says that he um, he goes to and tries to court the daughter of King Kulukulua, who's the chief of Hilo. He's a district chief of Hilo. And in this courting, he sees that she's wearing a Leini Hopalawa, quote unquote, but instead of it being made out of ivory, which is what we know to be sort of a more prestigious thing, she's wearing one made out of willy willy. So she's wearing a willy willy pendant around her necklace that's shaped like the palawa, so the the tongue of the the you know the well, and um. He so he goes to her and he tells her he asks her about her necklace and he tells her well where I come from we wear the ivory you know we wear the palawid we don't wear whatever that is you're wearing and it's sort of an insult I mean it's a massive insult you're really calling somebody out on their their insignia that defines who they are as royalty the status symbol yes absolutely and and it angers her and so to to add insult to injury he not only insults her verbally but he proceeds to physically grab the ne- necklace off of her and breaks it and so she goes back and tells her father um and i believe her name is Iivalani. and so she goes back and tells her father who's the king Kulukuluua of hilo what happened and it sets in it sets into motion a, a series of events that Umi and his men are, you know, sort of held hostage for a bit until they can prove that they are of a Li'i bloodline. And because Umi Aliloa comes from Liloa, who is a major Ali'i of his time period, he brings back the father's pendant into Hilo to prove and to demonstrate his status as Ali'i. Anyhow, shortly after that, Liloa comes into Hilo and invades Hilo and um, takes out uh, takes out Umi Aliloa. But I'm sorry, Kulukulua and replace, you know, he starts to effectively replace the ruling chiefs of Hilo. Well, mahalo nui loke for being with us and sharing all that Ike about P.O.P.O. And I know that I have learned a lot from you just in this time. Yeah, we're truly grateful um, for what you shared today and with our, our larger audience, too. We've all learned so much. Oh, thank you. And thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to share. And this is part of my life work after doing my research and getting into it has been just to share what I know with other people about this area. And yeah, so I'm happy to be able to have shared this information on this platform. So mahalo nui ya oku, oluau, mahalo nui. Mahalo. 
Wow, Lee, that was like phenomenal. I really enjoyed that time with Toke. Um, and I really liked what she shared about um, the importance of Ma'olelo, um, the importance of Aina. Um, and it just makes me think that, you know, Ma'olelo can have a lot of different functions. They can um, kind of tell us something about maybe a, a mythic or an ancient time, but they can also tell us about, you know, cultural practices that occurred in a particular place and the and the characteristics of, of a particular vahi or, or place. Um, and they can, I don't know, they can actually tell us how we in the future should interact with those particular places and those environments. It's full of information. Each mo'olelo. I agree. And something that we can see from these stories is how the relationship with these places or aina um, we can learn things such as agricultural practices, resource management, and contributing to the whole as far as what um, Loki mentioned as far as taxes or paying tribute to the ali'i. And something interesting also that I, I recall from our discussion is how characters in Mo'olelo such as Ohele and Paikaka in the stories are people, but then today live on as the names of places. And it, it also makes me think that... Um when we visit those places in Hilo, for those of us who are in Hilo, and we go to the area where Suisan is, we can be, that's Ohele. That's the father of the character in the Hi'iaka story. Right. So something else that was interesting is the relationship genealogically to the families and how the interactions created political ties. There's so much. Each of these Mo'olalo is profound. Yeah, And it makes us really um, appreciate and revere and respect the, the places of which this island is is composed. Yeah. And with that, mahalo nui to Loke for visiting us here at Kaleo o Kauluwao and for sharing her ike, her knowledge with us. Yes. And there's still more mo'olelo to hear for this moku of Hilo. Mahalo again to our dear listeners for lending your ears to this episode of Kaleo Kauluwao and to, of course, to our special guest, Loke Lani Brand. Please join us again for our next episode, which will be released on February 15th. And don't forget to visit our website for more information and updates. Until then, ahui ho. Aloha. Aloha.